0: Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright. This is called a War 2020 Directive Number Four. This is a, a weighty subject today. I know some of you think every subject I do is weighty, and at least in my own mind, well, the Word of God is always important, so that makes the Word of God always weighty, but. This is this subject today is so critical because this has got to get in the mind, the heart, the spirit of every person that participates in any kind of spiritual warfare under any guidance, a part of any effort. First and foremost, everything is about souls. Souls, 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 souls. souls. It's not about the prayer, per se. It's not about the uh, warfare. It's not about defeating the devil. It's not about proving how powerful we are in God or how powerful God is in us. All of those things are so secondary to the purpose. And the purpose of this directive is to give you clear scriptural understanding that this is the motive and warfare that's done for any other motive than this, even if it succeeds in defeating or binding a principality of power, a ruler of darkness or a, or wicked spirits in the atmosphere. And I'm not quoting the King James there. I'm giving you the literal translation uh from the Greek or a literal translation. I'm sure others would give it maybe slightly different than that. Uh, but it's not about that. It's not about that. Paul made it clear the whole thing about the armor of God and taking the shield of faith, sword of the spirit, is verse 18. The most significant verse in Ephesians uh, 6 Discussing warfare begin Beginning in verse 10 all the way down through verse 20 Is Verse 18 Because it tells us the arena of the warfare It's prayer Prayer And he tells us the purpose of prayer And one of the key purposes of prayer Is pray for all saints And he said and pray for me That the word of God may be sp- spoken with boldness <coughs> So That being the case The purpose of warfare is prayer, but it's not praying against the devil for the sake of praying against the devil. I am not a uh, cliched devil chaser. I'm a God chaser. I've been pursuing God uh, as long as I can remember in some form or another. Uh, More importantly, he's been pursuing me even longer. And so it's about him. It's about him. It's about his kingdom. It's about his plan. It's about his purpose. It's about his mission. It's about his commission. And a commission is co-with mission. If I am commissioned, I am given a mission with God. So I have his mission. co mission. It's not my own mission on my own. It doesn't become my mission. It's his mission. Now, there's no other goal, (laughs) no other goal in spiritual warfare that is right motive and that is acceptable to God. The end goal of all of this is souls. And today I'm going to give you an abundance of scripture that will clearly demonstrate that the only way that we can spiritually, scripturally, supernaturally see people saved is through fighting for them in spiritual warfare first. The, uh, The old timers, the ones that were elders when I was a kid, they called it praying for a breakthrough. Others called it prevailing prayer. Some call it persevering prayer. It's all the same thing by different names. Praying for a breakthrough. Praying prevailing prayer. Persevering prayer. Or as myself and others call it today, spiritual warfare. And so let's talk about this just a little bit. Before there was ever any sin, there was warfare between man and the adversary. I want you to notice this. Adam and Eve, Adam and or Eve, didn't walk up to that tree that they were told not to eat of casually one day and say, eh, that looks pretty good. I think I'll try that. I know what God said, but I'm not going to do that. No. They never did that. They never came close to doing that, from what the the Bible implies. But the adversary manifesting himself as a serpent, or using a literal snake as his point of contact or communication. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again: I don't believe that the serpent talked audibly to Eve. I believe there was some communication between, uh, thought communication between. Adversary using the serpent and Eve's mind, because that's the way he deals with us. That's the way he he approaches us. That's the way he tries to start all of his conflict with us. His thoughts in the mind. And I've taught a lesson: the mind is the battleground of the soul. And at some point in the hopefully near sooner than later, I'm going to do a video teaching series on the mind being the battleground of the soul. So it's really important that you and I understand this, that what happened in the garden was warfare. The problem is Eve didn't know she was in a battle. I'm reading real quickly here from Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, and if you have been a Christian very long, I doubt very seriously you haven't at least heard this preached on or read it. But I'm reading it again in this context. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Who initiated the conversation? Not the woman. I don't know if she was standing there looking at the tree. I don't know if she was passing by the tree. I don't know how he arrested her attention and got her to focus on the tree while he, while he talked to her. But he said to the woman, uh, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. He knew God had said, You can't eat of every tree of the garden except this one. What was he doing? He was testing her knowledge of the word of God to find out how susceptible to deception she was. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, ye shall not eat of it, and here we go wrong, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now, from a human perspective, even though that is not a direct quote of what God said, and God did not say that, and we go, what's the big deal? The big deal is that that was the clue to Satan that she didn't know the word of God enough and therefore she was susceptible to deception. Because knowing the word of God is the antidote to deception. That's why John said, First John chapter 4, we are to try the spirits. You're going around going, ooh, no. Every thought that comes into our mind, we compare it to the word of God. Because God cannot lie. He will not lie. He didn't say this then. He's going to say this now. No. Whenever it seems as though something is changed in the word of God, the reason for that change is clearly specified. For instance, the change from the Old Testament to the New. And I'm not going to go into all that, but it was very clearly stated. But the woman revealed she didn't know. Well, God didn't speak to the woman, did he? God spoke to Adam before the woman was created. So ultimately, Adam failed to accurately and correctly tr- communicate what God said to the woman. Now, I don't know if he wasn't aware Uh, Or if he didn't acknowledge how important that was. But he didn't. And so therefore, either he didn't accurately say it or she didn't accurately listen. And she revealed to this adversary that she was vulnerable. And the serpent said to the woman, when he finds out we don't know the word, now he challenges God directly in our lives. You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Well now, she's thinking. She's thinking. And she doesn't have a rough word in there to test her thoughts and what she's what the serpent has said to her. And so verse six says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the eyes. And that it was, ple- uh, saw the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh. And, and that it was good, it was pleasant in the eyes, lust of the eyes. And it, it, a tree to be desired to make one wise. She, pride of life. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat it, did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sowed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons now he not Satan not only challenged her knowledge of the word of God but when he found out she didn't know the word of God accurately he challenged God directly with her and told her no but then as she stood there and meditated where did these thoughts come from where did he where did they come from All of a sudden, her eyes saw that the uh, fruit was good and that uh, it was pleasant to the eyes and it was a tree desired to make one wise. John 2.15 says, Love not the world, neither things are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passeth away. And the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of my father. Abideth forever. So here. Here we have the whole scene in the garden. Her knowledge of the word of God was tested. Then God. Was challenged in her life and mind, And then she was offered the world. She was offered. The lust. Something to satisfy the lust of her flesh. Something to satisfy the lust of her eyes. Something to satisfy the pride of life. And then she took it and gave it to her husband to eat with her. And their eyes were opened and they saw themselves as naked because their innocence was gone. That's why when when the Lord came to visit the garden in fellowship with Adam and Eve, they were hiding. With their aprons on. And Adam said where are you? I'm over here hiding. Why are you hiding? I'm afraid. Why are you afraid? I'm naked. And listen to what God said. Who. Told you. You were naked. The same one that enticed. Is the same one that accused as soon as the sin was committed. And that is his pattern. It was his pattern in the with the first encounter with man and the first sin man fell into. And it's still his encounter today, and it will always be his encounter. He challenges your knowledge of the Word of God. He challenges God in your life when he finds out you don't know the word. Then he offers you the world, and as soon as you partake of that, he begins with his condemnation. Making you feel guilty and feel ashamed. Yeah. The wilderness temptation was also spiritual conflict. So the first man, Adam, encountered the first war, the first conflict with Satan, even though man didn't know it till it was a done deal, till he was already lost and the captive of sin. He didn't even know it. Because Satan's number one methodology is subtlety and subtle deception. It's number one method. So, in the wilderness with the second man, Adam, and Scripture says this: uh, Luke four one through fourteen, and Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned uh, from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Being forty days tempted of the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered, saying, It is written, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that, that but, but by, by by every word of God. Excuse me, I'm quoting another verse there while I'm trying to read. So. Jesus passed the first temptation, the lust of the flesh. And then the devil, taking him up to a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will give it. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. Lust of the eyes. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Verse 9, And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from thence. For it is written, Now, now Satan's quoting scripture, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. He quoted scripture out of context. and in their hands they shall bear thee up lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone and Jesus answering said unto him it is said thou shalt not tempt the lord thy god pride of life so jesus faced the same three elements of temptation uh, or te- conflict in the in in the wilderness and the word wilderness literally means according to strongs lonesome or alone. And that's how the devil battles us. He wants to battle us by ourselves, where we're not communicating with other people. We're not praying with other people. He wants to get us alone and probe and probe and find our weakness. And then he goes for the kill. So he challenges our knowledge of the word of God. He challenges God to us and that God's motives toward us are not right, and then he offers us the world, and when we take the bait, then he starts to defeat us. This, The reason that Jesus was led by the Spirit immediately into the wilderness after his baptism was because he had to face the spiritual conflict that man first faced and lost in that conflict, Jesus, the man Christ Jesus, had to face that conflict and win. And all the rest of his ministry was a result of the victory he won. And I'm not going to, it was obviously by the Spirit of God, but his flesh won By the aid of the Spirit of God through the word of God in the wilderness. That's why Luke four fourteen says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. Well, let me go back and read a verse I skipped. Verse twelve says Jesus answering said unto him, it is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Verse thirteen, and when the devil had ended all the temptation he departed from him for a season. So, he lost that battle, so he withdraws, but he'll be back. Amen, amen, and amen. But after winning that war, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. So, Jesus won that battle. He won the battle that Adam and Eve lost. Thus... We see the results of his ministry. So once he w- demonstrated his authority and dominion over Satan and that he could win in the conflict, the scripture says this. Luke chapter 19, verse 9 and 10, verses 9 and 10, Jesus said unto him, this day, speaking of uh, Zacchaeus, this day is salvation come to this house for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. But he didn't do that till after he won that battle with the devil. So Jesus received the power of the office. He already had God in him. He already had the authority as the Son of God and and the Christ. But he won something in that battle with the devil in the wilderness that was another level to what God was doing through the man Christ Jesus. Now, after he returned into Galilee, two verses later it says, verse 16, Luke 4, 16, that he came to Nazareth and where he had been brought up, and as was, as his custom was, he was a regular attendant, attendee of the synagogue on the Sabbath. He went in, into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for a read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now he's reading from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it to uh, again to the minister, and sat down, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began to say unto them, This day, Is this scripture fulfilled in your ears? Now, if you read that in Isaiah 61, you will see he stopped in the middle of verse 2. He did not read the rest of verse 2, nor did he read verse 3. Because he read what was the beginning. He read the beginning of it, that which started that day. So Jesus declared that this was his mission. This is what he was sent to do. This was his calling. This was his purpose on earth. And it's still his calling and purpose on earth through the body of Christ that's in tune with his spirit, that knows and obeys his word, and is submitted to the governance and leadership of his spirit. It's still the case. Because whatever was on the body of Christ when he walked on the face of this earth, Whatever working and do and, and, and manifestation and authority and ministry of the of God that was on the body of Christ while he walked on this earth as a man is still on the body of Christ today. That's why he said in John 14, 12, which was a part of his last teaching. Chapter 14, 15, 16, where the was one last teaching session to the apostles before he went out that evening and was uh, and prayed and then he was taken and uh crucified that day because he was taken after midnight he was crucified on the day he was taken in the middle of the night so he said John 14:12 He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do because I go to my Father. That verse is not possible to be fulfilled unless what was on and working in and through the body of Christ on the earth before the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension is the same that's on and working in and through the body of Christ after the day of Pentecost. Has to be. Now, just for quickly as I can here, time's sake, uh, I'm reading to you, uh, the expanded Bible of Luke 4 18. The Lord has put his spirit in me, literally, the spirit of the Lord is on me, because he appointed me, appointed, literally, anointed at Jesus' baptism, he was anointed by the spirit as the Messiah, meaning the anointed one, uh, anointed me Uh, appointed me to tell or proclaim or preach the good news, the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to tell the captives they are free. And in brackets, it says, proclaim liberty slash release for the captives slash prisoners. And to tell the blind that they can see again, God sent me to free those who have been treated unfairly, the oppressed. The Amplified Version, Classic Edition says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, the anointed one, the Messiah, to preach the good news, the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to announce release to the captives and recover of sight to the blind, to send forth as delivered those who are oppressed, who are downtrodden, bruised, crushed, or broken down by calamity. Which the expanded translation says the Lord's spirit is upon me because he, anoint, because he anointed me to announce good news to the poor. He has sent me on a mission to proclaim release to those who, who those held captive and recover of sight to those who are blind, to send away in release those who are broken by calamity. What is he talking about? Second Timothy chapter 2 beginning with verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those who oppose, that oppose themselves. When I live by my will, that is iniquity. And when I live by my will, I'm not living by God's will. Then while I am not, while I'm opposing God's will, I'm really opposing myself and making myself vulnerable to becoming a prisoner, a captive. If peradventure, God, if peradventure, if God will peradventure, will will give them repentance, which is a change of mind, a change of direction, to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves. They don't recover themselves, but it's said like this, because it is our decision to yield to and submit to God and the work of God so that he can deliver us out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. And the word captive there literally means, according to Strong's, prisoner of war. So let's let's look at this. Seeing people saved is a supernatural challenge. It's not about how much intellectual knowledge of the word I have. It's not about my personality. It's not about my giftings. It's not about, Our facility. It's not about our programs. It's not about how nice our church services are. It's not about how great our preaching is. It's a supernatural challenge because being lost is a supernatural condition. Being lost is super is spiritual. It's a spiritual or supernatural problem. It's not an intellectual or a natural problem or even a moral problem. Either we believers believe the Bible or we don't. If we believe the Bible, then we know that we cannot reach the lost through intellect, human efforts, programs, religion, spiritual entertainment, eloquent speeches, masquerading in sermons, etc. The lost can only be reached by, through, and with the Spirit of God. Now, here are the scriptures that prove all of those statements are absolutely the truth. Second Corinthians chapter four verses three through six. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world—that's not the Lord Jesus Christ—the word, uh, uh, the word, there, world there. I think is eon, which is translated world, but it's also age. Two primary words translated world: uh, eon and cosmos. One speaks of the system; the other, the culture. So. The spirit of the age or the God of the age is the God of the culture and cosmos is the God of the society or the system. And he is both of those. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God should shine unto them. The blind can't see. Now, those that sit in darkness have the ability to see, but they choose to sit in darkness so that they can't see. Those that are blind don't have the ability to see, no matter what amount of light they sit in. That's not the same things. The blind are those that sit in darkness. One is a condition that they didn't ask for, but sitting in darkness, choosing to sit in darkness is a choice of the will, not of the ability to see. So the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of, of, of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your service for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I'm going to read those verses 3 and 4 from the Amplified Classic Edition. But even if even if our gospel, the glad tidings, also be hidden, obscured, and covered up with a veil that hinders the knowledge of God, it is hidden only to those who are perishing and obscured only to those who are spiritually dying and veiled only to those who are lost. For the God of this world hath blinded the unbelievers' minds that they should not discern the truth, preventing them from seeing the illuminating light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, the Messiah, who is the image and likeness of God. The New Living Translation says it this way, If the good good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from the people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Now, you can ignore that all you want. You can have the greatest singers and musicians and the most entertaining and uplifting worship and praise you want. You can preach right out of the Bible and preach the most eloquent and powerful and convincing sermons ever preached. You can have absolutely the most spectacular church building there is. You can be the best Bible study teacher. You can be the bravest and boldest soul winner with the most wisdom. But if there is no warfare first, to pray that blindness off of them. You can make converts to a religion, but they don't ever become children of God. The Lord said of the Pharisees, you compass, I think it was earth and sea or something like that, to make converts who become twofold more the child of hell than you are. Oh, we can make converts to our church. We can make converts to our doctrine. But every tree the Heavenly Father hasn't hasn't planted shall be rooted up. Jesus said that. We can know how to manipulate people. We 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 can punch the right buttons of their emotion. We can get them in the altar. We can lead them through some kind of prayer of repentance. And they may actually speak in tongues and get baptized. But if that spirit of blindness is still there. You'll never be able to disciple. And you'll never be able to pastor. them Because they're not his. He didn't birth them. We did. By the flesh. By the spirit of religion. I didn't write this. It doesn't matter whether you agree with me or not. I'm just a man. You can disagree with this all you want. But for you to win that argument, you got to take these scriptures out of the Bible and the others I'm about to share with you. You got to take them all out of the Bible to do this as a church and a religion and getting people to join our church. You can do all that without God. You can do that with personality and pizzazz and with performance and presentation. But you can't get them saved so that Christ takes ownership of them until they are set free. You can't do it. How many times have you ever tried to talk to somebody about Jesus and you looked in their eyes and saw this blank look like they didn't have a clue who, what you were talking about? That is these verses to the extreme. Because a lot of people are blind and you can't tell are blind. You can't tell it. According to Paul, every man has been under the influence of the prince of the power of the air, which has promoted disobedience in them. I'm reading Paul's words again. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. All sinners, according to Paul, including us before we got saved, were under the same influence of that same prince of the power of the air, which promotes disobedience and the children of disobedience. An amplified version reads this way, those same three verses. And you he made alive when you were dead, slain by your trespasses and sins, in which at time, at one time, you walked habitually. You were following the course and fashion of this world were under the sway of the tendency of this present age, following the prince of the power of the air, you were obedient to and under the control of the demon spirits that still constantly works in the sons of disobedience, brackets the careless the rebellious and the unbelieving who go against the purposes of god among these we as well as you once lived and conducted ourselves in the passions of our flesh our behavior governed by our corrupt and sensual nature obeying the impulses of theory flesh and the thoughts of the mind our cravings dictated by our senses and our dark imaginings we were then by nature the children of god's wrath Heirs of his indignation, like the rest of mankind, I didn't write that either. We expanded translation says it this way: and you being dead with reference to your trespasses and sins he made alive, in the sphere of which trespasses and sins. At one time, you ordered your behavior as dominated by the spirit of the age in this world system, as dominated by the leader of the authority of the lower atmosphere, the source also of the spirit that is now operating in the sons of the disobedience, among whom also we all ordered our behavior in the sphere of the cravings of our evil nature, continually practicing the desires of our evil nature and our thoughts, and were continually Children of wrath by nature, as also the as as also the rest. That's how we lived. That's what. That's why we were in sin. We were listening to the promptings. Of, he doesn't have the power to make us do any of it. But when we don't, when we're blind and we don't discern the source of those thoughts, and we do those things then we become children of disobedience. And that is the custom and habit of life. Why do you think the spirit of iniquity that I've been talking about for three months and longer is the spirit of this age? Paul said it this way, the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Why does he call it mystery? Because the word mystery means that which is covered or concealed. And Satan's number one methodology is subtlety. So the spirit of iniquity works very subtly to promote the human beings to do their own will, which then when we do what he is prompting us to do, it brings us under his influence, not demon possession. The whole world's not demon possessed, but they are, according to Paul, they are under the influence of his words, and they're doing it because they don't know who's talking to them. And you think you can preach that out of them? You think you can sing that out of them? You think you can make the pews comfortable enough and the building beautiful enough to get that out of them? It's the will of God for the church to come together. It's the will of God for us to pray together. It's the will of God for us to worship God together. It's the will of God for there to be ministry of the word. All that's the will of God. But none of that works with people who are under the influence of demonic spirits and according to Paul... The whole world is. So what is the result of the influence of the prince of the power of the air? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth not walk as other Gentiles in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, Being alienated from the life of God. This isn't talking about backsliders. This isn't talking about people that once knew God and walked away from him. This is talking about people that never knew God. Listen to this. I'm going to read it again. Listen to this. This I say, therefore, and testify the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as the other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. We says it this way. This therefore I am saying and solemnly declaring in the Lord that no longer are you to be ordering your behavior as the Gentiles order their behavior in the futility of their mind, being those who have their understanding darkened, who have been alienated from the life of God through the ignorance which is in them. Not stupidity. Ignorance. What's the root word of ignorance? Ignore. Who are they ignoring? God through the ignorance which is in them, through the hardening of their hearts, who being of such a nature as to have become callous, abandoned themselves to wantonness, resulting in a performing of every uncleanness in the sphere of greediness. And you think we can fix that with our intellects, with our oratory, with our professionalism, with our presentation, you talk about deceived. It's not just the world that's deceived. Satan has got us believing that we can come against what's wrong with the, with the loss of this world through his methods. He's an orator. Find one place in the in the gospels where Jesus tried to be oratorical. Not one time. Find one place. Where Jesus' presentation was meant to appeal to people. Find that place. Find it. You can't. And the apostles didn't try to do that either. Because they knew this wasn't natural. They knew this was supernatural. And they knew that if a person wasn't saved by the Spirit of God supernaturally delivering them from their bondage and their blindness and bringing them light of revelation and understanding and therefore conviction of their sins, they knew that if that didn't happen, those people were not getting saved. And so what do you do with a mixed multitude like that? Where part of them is longing to go back to Egypt while part of them are are trying to believe to go into the promised land. What do you do with that? You let it sit until the mixed multitude dies. That's what you do. That's exactly what the Lord's done. Because you can't preach anything to a blind person. I don't care if they talk in tongues. I don't care what their doctrine is. They can believe this doctrine intellectually. They can see it intellectually and obey it by naturally. And it doesn't do a thing for them. It doesn't change their character. Doesn't change their priorities. Doesn't make them a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, Jesus made it very clear that the church he is building is in a supernatural conflict with spiritual forces of hell. For what purpose? See the law say. And he also gave us the spiritual tools that are necessary to set the captives free. Again, how many times have I quoted this in the briefings and also just in the first couple of directives? Matthew 16, 18. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So at the first mention of the word church in the Bible, so in the beginning of his promise to build the church, he tells the end of the thing before the beginning, calls those things that are not as though they were. But you can't win a battle. You don't fight. And he gives us the keys to the kingdom. Here are, here are weapons. Some of the weapons of our warfare. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. But I'm going to read from two other translations. And I have done my best to, to consider the original from all the sources I have. While I'm no certainly no expert in the Greek language at all, but I can read what experts say. But both the Amplified and uh, Wees that I'm about to read are very close to the literal translation. So Amplified says that I tell you, you are Peter. The Greek is Petros, a large piece of rock. And on this rock, Greek Petra, a huge rock like Gibraltar, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, the powers of the infernal region shall not overpower it or be strong to its detriment or hold out against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind, declare to be improper and unlawful on earth must be what is already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose, declare lawful on earth must be what is already loosed in heaven. The Wiestas says it this way. Moreover, as for myself, I also am saying to you, you are Peter, Petros, masculine in gender, a detached but large fragment of rock. And upon this massive rock, Petra, feminine in gender, feminine demonstrative pronoun cannot go back to the masculine Petros, Petra, a rocky peak, a massive rock. I will build my church, and the councils of the unseen world shall not overpower it. I will, I shall give unto, unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth forbid to be done shall have already, shall, shall have been already bound forbidden to be done in heaven. And what, whatever you loose on earth permit to be done shall have already been loosed in heaven permitted to be done. So these, these tools of binding and loosing, these keys, that unlocks the kingdom of God so it can operate and manifest. We don't originate any of that. We're in tune with God through prayer and submission to him and his will, his word. And whatever he gives us to bind, we bind. Whatever he gives us to loose, we loose. Because he originates the binding and loosing. We're only the conduit. Now, from a church standpoint, not an individual, but a church standpoint. How do we go about seeing people saved? Jesus said it three times, and I'm going to read two of those passages. I'm not going to read the one in Mark, but I am going to read the one in Matthew and Luke. Matthew chapter 12, notice the context, and you're welcome to read the whole chapter 12. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. What? We're supposed to pray every day for the kingdom of God to come. And he says, one of the primary ways the kingdom of God comes is casting out devils by the spirit of God. So the kingdom of God is the manifestation of God's authority and power against the kingdom of darkness. But if I cast out devils by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods Except he first bind the strong man, then he will spoil his house. And Luke 11 verse 20. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils. So Matthew says the spirit of God. But Luke says the finger of God. Why does he, why does he use that terminology? To show you that God is so great. It only takes one of God's fingers to absolutely have dominion over the adversary. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is uh, come upon you. When a man when a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace or secure, but when a stronger than he is come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. Jesus name. Mark also uses the terminology of binding the strong man in the parallel passage of these two. Jesus, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, the word is established. Jesus established the fact that the, that participating in and being a conduit for the kingdom of God is involved with the kingdom of darkness in defeating it in individual people's lives. And also in this world, so the gates of hell can be defeated. But he also said that those tools of the kingdom are used to bind the strong man who is the one keeping his goods, including his captives, safe. And if you're going to spoil, it doesn't mean go bad like meat or food, but spoil means what you do to a, what, what they did to a nation they conquered. When they conquered a nation or conquered a city, they went in, and took everything that was of value, including people and took them back as slaves. And if we want to set the captives free, who are under all the spiritual influence of just a few verses I've read, not counting all the other ones that apply, we can't do that until you first confront The man keeping the house, the strong man, or in this case, the principalities and powers and rulers of darkness of this world and the wicked spirits in the atmosphere. That's why we're not wrestling with flesh and blood. We're not trying to deal with flesh and blood. We're not trying to convince flesh and blood. We're trying to set flesh and blood free from the principalities' influence, the powers' influence, the rulers of darkness of this influence, and the wicked spirits of the atmosphere. That's why Paul, excuse me, uh, David said, Psalm 79, 11, let the sighing of the prisoner come before thee. According to the greatness of thy power, preserve thou those that are appointed to die. Well, how can you, how can you, the, the whole context here is in reference to those that would technically or figuratively be on death row. They've already been tried, convicted, and sentenced, and just awaiting the execution of the sentence. And they're bound. And they've they've been appointed to die. But the only way they can be free is someone with the power and the authority to do so sets them free from all of that so they can be forgiven of their offenses and be saved. Now, I've talked about this many times it just just amazes me sometimes how how easily we just don't see stuff we just ignore stuff so paul Peter's not our example i can't relate to peter i can't relate to john John said we've handled him and touched them and him and we we heard his voice i haven't handled him i haven't touched him i haven't heard his human voice speak. I haven't watched him do miracles. Now, I appreciate Peter and the, uh, the the apostles and the others that saw him who gave them their lives for him because they knew both in giving their lives every day and then finally giving their, their natural life, death, uh, for him. But I can't relate to them. I can relate to Paul. He didn't walk with Jesus. He didn't hear his audible voice. I know on the road to Damascus, but we all have that confrontation to some degree or, other, or another. It may not be as dramatic as Paul's, but everybody that's saved has that confrontation. But Paul is our example. He's the apostle that said several times, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm your pattern. I'm your example. Follow me. So let's let's see what Paul followed. Paul was given uh, Paul Paul's personal call, first of all, of salvation, and then the ministry, which all essentially happened at the same on the same occasion. was was given by the person, of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, and the Lord Jesus Christ made it clear what was required of Paul to do before the lost could be forgiven of their sins. Therefore, because Paul is our example. It was made clear what the church is supposed to do before the lost can be forgiven of their sins. We've got to open their spiritually blinded eyes. We've got to convert them or turn them from darkness to light. We've got to deliver them from the authority of Satan into God's authority. And the King James says power, but the Greek word is not dunamis, it's exousia, from the authority of Satan unto God. Then and only then can they receive forgiveness of sins and a heavenly inheritance. I'm reading to you from, uh, I'm not going to read all of it for time's sake. I'm encouraging you to read Acts 26, 13 through 19, which is the most detailed testimony Paul ever gave of what happened to him that day. So I'm skipping down to uh, verse six, 16. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. To make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things, those are not the same thing. Minister is a servant and is also someone who communicates the word of God. But a witness is someone who tells their personal experience with God. To make thee a minister and a witness before both of these things, which thou hast seen of those things in which I I will appear unto thee, speaking of future tense communication. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now, whom I, now I send thee. I'm going to send you back to the people I'm delivering you from. For what purpose? To open their eyes. To turn them from darkness to light and from the power of, this is King James, from the power of Satan unto God. That the Greek word there is for this cause, for this purpose, on this account. That they may receive forgiveness of sins. And inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. Now I want you to know one more time. Notice the order of this. He didn't go preaching the gospel to people he hadn't prayed for. And he didn't go preach the gospel of people that he prayed for, Lord, bring them to church and cause them to get saved tonight. That's not how he prayed for them. He was given very specific instructions on what to pray for. That their eyes would be open spiritually so they could see. And that even though they had eyes that were open, they'd still be in darkness. That, that the, the spiritual atmosphere around them would turn and turn them. From darkness to light. And that they would be delivered according to Paul's words in Colossians. Delivered from the kingdom or authority or power of Satan. Unto God or unto the kingdom of God. And when those spiritual things happened. You can just preach a simple gospel message. And they're going to obey. Because to have forgiveness of sins. And the Greek word there is also translated remission of sins because there's not two Greek words, one for remission and one for forgiveness, and it's so simple for you to verify that. You can disagree with me, but not until you check for yourself, uh, you're operating on a false opinion. Because I didn't get my opinion from my mind; I looked. There's one Greek word translated remission and forgiveness of sins. And so where do we get remission of sins? Repentance and water baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So they didn't they got baptized after they were their eyes were opened, after their eyes were prayed open, after they were prayed uh, 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 from darkness to light, after they were delivered from the power of Satan unto God. They were then able to obey the gospel and receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. And if you go to Ephesians chapter 1, I believe it's verse 12, we will tell you what it takes to have an inheritance. Because the baptism of the Holy Ghost is the earnest of our inheritance. Paul wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision. Are we obedient to that vision? Paul made it very clear that salvation was not joining a church or simply praying a sinner's prayer. It was first a deliverance from Satan's kingdom and then being translated into the kingdom of God. Oh, that verse I mentioned, here it is. Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Giving thanks unto the Father who, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power or the authority of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. I believe that preaching the word is the way people are saved. I do too. After you've prayed what you're supposed to pray and won the victory in that battle. And then anybody that knows the simple gospel, can communicate that simple gospel to delivered people. And they can now make a decision. Brother Barnes told me personally, and I heard him say it to others, the lost can't even decide whether or not to get saved until they're set free from their blindness. They they can't even exercise their will. They don't even know there's a choice to make. And they can't even believe when they can't see because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So I've got to have spiritual sight to have faith. And if I have faith and I got to have faith to be saved and I can't have spiritual sight while I'm blind. The spirit of the Lord is calling men of God and the people of God to fulfill his purpose and reach the lost through kingdom prayer and by preaching a confirmed word. Mark 16, verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye in all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, and they shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he's, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Huh. So, here is our call to war. The first place we know we're called to war is in Paul's very short verse, 1 Corinthians 11, 1. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. We says, be, become imitators of me, even as I also am an imitator of Christ. Pastor, child of God, church leader, are we following Christ? Are we following Paul? Because if we're not following Paul, We are not following Christ. I didn't write this. I didn't write this. I know the messenger is the one that gets the punishment for the message. And that's part of the price of having the privilege of being a conduit for God to speak. But like the Lord said to Samuel, they're not rejecting you for a king. They're rejecting me. So I realize it may be really simple for you to be upset with this person. Have at it, enjoy yourself. But the problem is, it's going to cost you, my friend, because the word is the word, and Jesus said clearly in Mark and John chapter twelve, verses forty-four through fifty, that we're going to have, we have one thing that will judge us in that day, and that's the word that He has spoken. Yeah, and the word He spoke to Paul that's recorded as the words of Jesus himself to Paul. And Paul said, this applies to everybody because you're supposed to be following me like I follow Christ. Are we doing that? Are those our prayer priorities? Or are we just trying to figure out how to grow our crowd and make converts to our church's doctrine? You can't have it both ways. Sorry. And you can... Do all the praying and fasting you want. But unless that prayer and fasting is focused in faith and speaking against these things, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Pray all oh, the Jesus, 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 hallelujah, 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 hallelujahs. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You want? Call on his name. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus all you want. It's not changing a thing because we're not obeying what he told us to do. And then Paul further said, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Verse 4 is in parentheses. So I'm going to read what warring is. Because that's a colon at the end of verse 3. And the grammatical rule of a colon is what follows the colon? Explains what precedes the colon. So we walk for we, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing in that captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We're supposed to do that for ourselves. And if we don't do that for ourselves and fight that war for ourselves, we can't fight that war for somebody else. And then Of course, I'm reading as quickly as possible because hopefully you know it by now. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. How much more specific can Paul get? Finally, my brother, be strong of the Lord, the power of his might. But on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in the high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day or the day of conflict with evil. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparations of gospel of peace. Above all, take you the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, colon, so what follows the colon, explains how to use all that armor of God. Verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in bonds. And he wrote this and asked for prayer for himself in jail. That therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, this call isn't for the church as a body alone. This call is to every individual. We have a personal responsibility to pray for the lost to be free, which is spiritual warfare, and then to communicate the gospel that will bring them into the kingdom. It's a two-step process to pray them out of the devil's kingdom or deliver them from the devil's kingdom so they can then be brought into if they're willing to choose to do so after being set free because God will not violate their will. They come into the kingdom of God, which is salvation. They're not saved because they're delivered from the power and the authority of darkness. They now have the freedom and clarity of mind and spirit to be able to see the truth and decide whether or not they're going to come into the truth. The following is a biblical word of warning for every comfortable, complacent Christian who thinks that God in no way holds them personally responsible or accountable for being actively involved in praying for the deliverance of the lost, and with ministering the gospel for the salvation of the lost. And I'm going to remind you of this before I read. None of these are my words. I'm I'm just reading what God wrote. I didn't write them. He did. Proverbs 24 and 11. If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death, and those that are ready to be slain. In other words, you don't, Involve yourself. If thou sayest, behold, we knew it not, doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? And he that keepeth thy soul, doth he not know it? And shall he not, and shall not he render to every man according to his works? In other words, he's not buying it. Doesn't work. No excuse. Why? Because if you're saved, he's in you. And his mission was to seek and to save the lost. And if he's in you, and I'm yielded to him, and you're yielded to him, he's going to be doing that through us. Listen to his burden. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. And the word compassion is come with passion. You can't have compassion without having very strong feelings about seeing the lost saved. And, oh, I'm very well aware of how much we are torn, turned off with pe- by people with passion or compassion because we're too bogged down doing our thing and we're too comfortable and complacent and we don't want to do that. Well, those of you that are embarking on this effort of spiritual warfare, that's your motive right there. It's compassion for the lost. It's not beating the devil. It's setting them free. His fate is already doomed. <coughs> His sentence has already been pronounced. It's just the execution that's waiting. and There's not a thing he can do about that. That's why when he wants to come beat on me, One of my favorite things to do is say, okay, you want to talk about my faults and failures? Let's do it. You're right. All that stuff you're saying about me is right. And yet the Lord has forgiven me of every bit of that. And I'm going to heaven. But let's talk about you. You made one choice, one wrong mistake, and you're done forever. You don't get a second chance. So if you want to talk about this and how, how messed up I am, I'm going to talk to you about the love of God and the cross of Christ and the fact that with all my mistakes and wrong choices and all of my faults and failures and sins, I'm going to heaven because of the blood of Jesus, because of the love of God. But you, you're going to burn in hell forever. You didn't get that second chance. That usually ends the discussion. He usually leaves me alone. Matthew 9, 36 again, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous. Oh, there's nobody wants what we've got. You mean there's nobody blind and can't see the gospel that wants what we've got. You're right. The blind can't see what they need. They don't know what they need. And they don't know why to get out of their situation they're in. You're right. They don't want what we've got. They don't know what we've got. And you telling them what we've got isn't going to inform them. Because the blind can't see. You take somebody born blind. You could describe a sunset to them all they want. You want. And they have no points of reference to be able to paint a mental picture that is... Indicative of the words you say. So it is with the blinded lost. You can talk all you want about the love of God and the grace of God and how good it is and how you've been forgiven of all your sins. But if they're blind, they don't have a clue what you're talking about. And yeah, yeah, they're going to go on the, uh, uh, on the defensive and they're going to begin to attack what you're saying. Because they can't accept what you're saying. They can't see what you're saying. And so we conclude they don't want what we've got. You know what? There's no food sitting in front of me right now. And so I can't tell you what I want to eat whenever I get out of here. I'm kind of hungry, but I don't have a clue what I'm hungry for. Now, if you set some things here in front of me and I could see what was available to me right now, I could go, wow, that looks really good. I'm going to eat that because I can see it. But we want to go by the court sh- shortcut. You know why? To pray spiritual warfare, you've got to die to yourself. You can't pray spiritual warfare successfully without dying yourself because all the power is God's and all the authority is God's and we're only the conduit and we can't be a conduit while we're still living and trying to do it for our glory. So Jesus said the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few, but the laborers are few. It's not a shortage of people mourning and need to be saved. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into this harvest. So the Greek word for send forth is thrust out, force out, compelled to go out. And you know how you harvest a wheat field? Still the same way today. It's just done with combines. But they had a sickle that was very sharp. And the laborers would go through the field and sever the connection of the stalks of wheat from the earth. That's called conviction. But conviction doesn't work on somebody that's blind. It doesn't. And a wheat field is ready to be harvested when it's prayed out of the ground. And all this other stuff is prayed off of it, and it's now able to be harvested. But where are the laborers? Second Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 9, Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Because, first of all, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, for everyone that may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. That's not talking about the lost. That's talking about those in the church. The church is going to be judged. We're going to be judged according to our works. We may be saved, but we're going to be judged according to our works. Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Matthew 25, verse 41. Then shall he say also unto those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was a hungered, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger. You took me not in, naked. You clothed me not, sick and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee an hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee. Then shall he answer them saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. What was their horrible sin? Why were they sent to hell? It didn't say anything about their sin, the sins they committed. It was the sins of what they didn't do. My friend, it's a very heavy thought. And this is the responsibility and the weight that God gave me as a person, as an individual Christian. Right out of his word, when I was studying at the Naval Academy, starting when I was nineteen. He didn't just show me the truth showed me the responsibility of having truth because to whom much is given much is required and if you claim you have truth you're accountable to God for that truth and you're a debtor to everyone that doesn't have it Well, I've tried to witness and nobody wants it no you tried to witness without praying for them because you see I I can tell people what I believe without ever praying for them but I can't win them until I pray for them and defeat the influences in their lives. And we have to do this for individuals. We have to do this for families. We have to do this for neighborhoods. We have to do this for towns and cities and counties and states and countries. And that's not been the focus of the church I was raised in. It wasn't, it hadn't been the focus of it. it. Hadn't been the focus. Even though all this in the Word of God hadn't been the focus of it. And it's still not really the focus of it today. But I'm talking to those who are being drawn by the Holy Ghost to participate in this. And so I have a couple of things to say to you again today before I quit. We're going to be doing Zoom directives meetings. And if you want to participate in those closed meetings where they're not secretive, but they are times for those, for us to be able to interact and to be able to communicate about what's going on, what we're feeling, what we're seeing, and, and to be able to give some specific directions for the next step in warfare for the collective, uh, that's only going to happen with the Zoom meetings. There will be periodic public directives given, just like these. There will be public directives and there will be Zoom directives. And if you want to be a part of the Zoom directives, you're going to need to send an email Requesting to be uh, included to CTW Zoom at Antioch. Dot, excuse me, at Apostolic com, CTW Zoom at Apostolic Iron.com. And we will put you on a list, and whenever the Lord calls for a Zoom meeting, we will. Um, send you an email and we'll have a meeting. And if you're not able to make the meeting, those meetings will be in an, a, a secured area on apostoliciron.com that you have to have a username and password to get to. And so if you want to do that, uh, we're going to leave this open through at least Friday. I've also made available uh, the 2011 call to war syllabus. uh that is over 200 pages of scripture and study on all aspects of spiritual warfare. It is not exhaustive, but it, it's there's plenty of material there. It'll take you a while to absorb. And some have even taught straight from that as a uh, uh, a textbook, so to speak, for teaching their churches. If you want to have that free, We've expanded the opportunity. You can go to apostoliciron.com, go under downloads, and that will be there. You you don't have to sign up. You don't have to do anything. You just download that file, and it's yours. Do anything you want to with it, but sell it. You cannot sell it. And I will take action with you personally, face-to-face, through some means, if I find out you're selling that material, freely received, freely give it. The other way you can get it is on our bookstore website, myapw.com. APW stands for Antioch Publishes the Word, so it's myapw.com, myapw.com. But if you go that direction, you're technically making a purchase, even though the price is marked now at nothing, zero. You still will have to sign, you have to give you your name, your email address in order to to uh, purchase it through myapw.com. So if you don't want to do all that, that's fine. You can just go straight to apostoliciron.com to downloads and download it there. You're welcome to do that. One final thing, uh, two final things, I will be Doing a live directive tomorrow. It will be directive number five. Uh, it will be a very, very important lesson because I will be speaking about warfare from Satan's perspective so that we cannot be ignorant of his devices. It is not the will of God for us to not know his tactics and how he works so that we can discern that and recognize it. And I'll be teaching that tomorrow. I will not be able to do much more than just give a, a good, strong, skim job on it because it's very in-depth. There's so much scripture that reveals his methodologies, but that will be tomorrow's directive. And there also will be a live directive on Friday at noon, my time, Eastern Daylight Time. And then finally, finally, uh next week I have been instructed to stream live from my house my personal warfare prayer each day at 9 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Monday through Friday, just so we can pray together, but also so those of, that don't really have a real understanding what warfare prayer is like or whatever, I will be praying. It will not be the same thing every day. There are some things I pray in principle every day, uh sometimes it's much more detailed as the Holy Ghost flows, sometimes it's less. And so I will tell you those prayer sessions will be war spiritual warfare prayer sessions will be at least an hour long. I don't know how long they'll go, but you obviously can come as go as you please, and I won't know about that because it won't matter to me. I'm just going to be praying. Those will also be archived, and I realize the natural mind and the natural man Watching that will think some of that's some of the most ridiculous and or hilarious stuff they've ever seen. I am willing to face that kind of ridicule to be able to help my brothers and sisters more quickly understand how to pray because we are not praying 24 hour prayer chains of devotional prayer. When it's your time to pray in the spiritual link in your chain that you're participating in on your day, That is supposed to be spiritual warfare prayer. And if you don't know how to do anything else, you can just pray in the spirit, in tongues, and the Lord will take care of it. Now, there are three separate series of teaching on prayer, all of which really directly or indirectly relates to spiritual warfare praying. They're on Bible with a Bishop YouTube channel. They're there for free. You don't sign up for anything. You don't have to. Uh, If you want to subscribe so you get notifications of new stuff being put up, that's your choice. But kingdom praying, eight lessons. Those are an hour long each. Uh, Then there are 17 lessons of how to pray like the apostles prayed. They're about a half hour each, most of them. And then there are 22 lessons on praying in the spirit. Uh, And they're about a half hour each. And it's plenty of teaching if you want to learn how to pray ministry prayer in general and war, excuse me, warfare prayer specifically. In fact, the eight lessons of the, uh, of the, uh, kingdom praying were actually eight of the, uh, 13 Call to War 2016 briefings. There was eight lessons where the Lord had me teach on kingdom praying, and I simply have changed the intro to that and the title of it and made it into a teaching series, and that's exactly what it was, of how to pray kingdom prayer, which is the foundation of all spiritual warfare. All of the principles of spiritual warfare are taught in kingdom praying. But next week, Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, I will be praying and demonstrating and imparting, uh, that spirit will Im- be imparted uh, to those who participate uh, as we pray together. So uh, why am I giving these announcements when you were kind of under conviction about all this other stuff? Because the decision to be involved in warfare And the decision to be involved with the lost cannot be an emotional experience. It has to be an experience, a spiritual experience, made by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray your blessing and the impartation of your grace and the spirit of prayer, the spirit of supplication, the spirit of intercessory warfare, and travail intercession uh, upon each and every one who is Listening to this today, let us get, have your burden for the lost. Give, let us see the lost with your eyes. Let, let us be conduits for you to love the lost through us that we might have the revelation of understanding, Father, of the condition that's got them bound so that we can pray them out of that condition so that they will be conditioned to be able and enabled to be able to hear the gospel, see it, believe it, and be saved. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I speak these things. God bless you. I love you in Jesus' name.